the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. Of- Thank you for once again tuning in to a brand new episode of Sake On Air, the one and only podcast that is dedicated to expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, one of your regular voices here on the show, and this week we are getting to know our hosts once again. Back in October, we introduced you to Sebastian Lemoyne as well as Christopher Pellegrini. This week, however, we are going to introduce you to two more team members. Uh, the first being Chris Hughes, who is now arguably one of the most prolific sake educators, uh, non-Japanese sake educators that is based here in Japan, as well as the man pulling the strings behind the scenes, Mr. Shuso Imada. Imada-san has had a very long and rich history in the industry and it was really insightful to be able to get his perspective not just on his own experiences but also the different occurrences and major happenings that have really shifted the nature of the industry over the last several decades. We've been trying to keep our episodes short and sweet but we had so much packed into these two interviews that it runs a little bit long this time around. If you would like to break up your listening a little bit feel free to treat this as two different episodes and if you like what you hear this week or any other week please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming platform that you are enjoying Sake on Air on. With that uh, let's get on with the show. So hello, this is um, Sébastien, your French-speaking host, who's trying to uh, try his skills at interviewing in English somebody I'm very happy to speak with today because, I mean, we, we're, we're working together in this show, uh, Sake on Air, but uh, I haven't traveled with you much, Chris, and so I haven't had yeah. two hours of train to uh, ask you That's um, true, a lot of questions about yourself. I mean... What's really great about sake is it's an opportunity to, to meet with people, meet with new people. And what would have been the chance that I meet you? I mean, t- t- tell me where you're coming from. Um, well, uh, so I'm coming from uh, Great Britain. Uh, I was actually born in London, uh, but then my family moved up to the north of England, a place called Manchester. It's one of the other major cities in, in the UK. And and that's where that's where I come from. What's the gastronomy like over there? Um, it often kind of winds me up a little bit. Uh, people who've been to the the UK often say that the food that they've had over there is kind of really bland or you know tasteless. So it's not very good, you know. And I think you just have to know where the good places are. I can say with confidence that I think uh, the gastronomy, the cuisine in the UK, is probably you know, at the highest level in the world. Because a lot of chefs come from other countries to come and work in the UK because they have access to all these really, really great ingredients. I can say with confidence that I think the cuisine in the UK gets a bad rap, you know, and I'm not really sure why. I think that's because uh, very few people actually travel to the UK to try the gastronomy. Yeah, yeah that's probably true. Yeah. So I-, I wanted to ask you, did gastronomy bring you to Japan? I mean, did you come for gastronomy or what did you come That's here? a great question. And I think uh, maybe some of our, uh, you know, uh, fellow uh, hosts, uh, maybe that was the case. But for me, I, I actually did not come into the sake world from either a wine background or a gastronomy background. Uh, I, I had a really strong interest in Japan right from an early age, about high school. 
I became obsessed with anime and manga. And I saw Japan on the pages of these, you know, manga novels. And I thought one day I'm going to go there and I'm going to experience this for myself because it just looked amazing. So I went to university because when I was in college, I used to translate these manga. You could only get them in Japanese. You could only import them in Japanese. Um, and I was following this manga series called uh, Three by Three Eyes. Maybe some people listening, maybe they've read it. And if you have, you know, you'll know what an amazing manga it is. But so they're only available in Japanese. And I wanted to be, be able to read these manga. So to, to, I had to learn the language. Did, did you find a good one about sake? Uh, no, sadly. I, and I didn't. The, sake never really appeared in this manga series either. But I discovered sake like I said, not from a wine background or gastronomy background. I studied Japanese at university. And after leaving university, I had this Japanese ability. And just by complete chance, I ended up falling into the um, Japanese restaurant industry in London, mm -hmm. working for a uh, an importer, importing Japanese food and in ingredients uh, and beverages into London. And that's where I discovered sake. Okay. And you remember what? kind of sake it was? Or? I do very, very well. Let's First of all, let me say that I think like a lot of people who discovered sake for the first time, I went in there with a really negative image about sake. Um, I just started working from this company and everyone in kind of like their first year, because sake is one of the products that we were selling, they have to kind of have like a, a study session. And it turns out that I was going to have this study session with a sake brewer who would come over from Japan um, I'm allowed to say the brand, I don't have to say the price. Uh, Nambu Bijin, uh, Iwati Prefecture, anyone who's met the guy, uh, Mr. Kuji, will know how really, really, really charismatic he is. So, you know, there I was with this really negative impression about sake. I thought it was a spirit. I thought, oh, it's going to be dry. It's going to be undrinkable, basically. And what he put in front of me, after a really charismatic presentation, which was just, you know, full of Japanese culture and history, this kind of story about sake, I think that's probably he'd hooked me already. So I was an easy sell. But then he put out this sake in a wine glass, and it was a Tokubitsu Jumai. Number uh, Bijin's Tokubitsu Jumai. It's a pretty famous product. It's, you know, it's what sake, you know, tastes like. You know, it's kind of like the traditional taste of sake, but with lots of fruity and floral notes. And it's very delicate, you know, very elegant. And bearing in mind what my image of sake was, this just completely blew me away. I'm salivating, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still remember when I tasted it. Because I, I was like, you know, after I, hear, I heard this presentation, I was, okay, the sake world is really interesting. I could get into this. If only this in the glass tastes half as good as the, as the kind of the presentation, you know, then I think, uh, that's it. I, I'm probably going to get into this industry. Uh, did you mean that you actually came into the world of sake before visiting Japan? No, actually, I'd already visited. Because when I was in university, uh, when you study Japanese at university in the UK, uh, it would be very rare for you to not actually get the opportunity to visit the country. Because normally one year of the course is actually spent in the country. But I was actually very lucky to get an opportunity to go to Japan on like a, a summer course in my first year in university. So I'd actually been to Japan uh, th three times before I started working for this uh, food and drink importer in London. So that's been how many years now? So the first time I actually visited Japan, I remember it very, very well. It was, uh, it was the World Cup. They were, the World Cup was being held uh, jointly with Korea. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, I think that was 2000 and 
2001 or 2002 yeah. well 2001 i think it was completely forgot <laughs> time time flies and my memory's going but yeah i think it's 2000 I remember france 1998 yeah um, so, so 2002 yeah it would have been 2002 it's the summer of 2002 my first ever japanese summer avatar name on uh, Instagram or oh, uh, right. Facebook, yeah. Sake no Tabibito. Oh, thank I mean, you. For, for, for our listeners, I mean, it means Sake traveler, but actually maybe Sake pilgrim. Exactly. That's the translation and I'm so, going for. And the, I think the, I remember the first time I met you, uh, you briefly talked to me about one of your projects, which was to travel the country mm. and make a book out of it. Mm. Uh, and about sake. Right. So, I mean, tell us about it. Yeah, I only got part of that done, sadly. Um, so I worked for this food importer for like four years. And then I really wanted to reanalyze how much passion I had for sake. I wanted to just, you know, take two years out of the industry, go and do something completely different. So that's what I did. I actually ended up working for a, a Daihatsu, not the mm. car company. Uh, they actually, um, when they started, they started making uh, engines for big tanker ships. And so I worked for Daihatsu in the diesel, you know, the European um, arm of their diesel engine company, selling parts for diesel engines, which they sold to okay. ship owners, and, you know. Um, so after working for this company, uh, it allowed me to kind of, you know, save a bit of money away. And then I decided, I realized that I was really missing sake industry. Um, I knew probably the first week into that job, this was not a good idea. Nice I'm really going to miss the sake industry. And so after two years, you know, you know, I'd been working in London for six years, saying one day I'm going to go back to Japan. And I said, the time's come. And the, so answer your question. No, it's a long way around. I decided I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to get a working holiday visa. I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to visit all these breweries that I've always wanted to visit. I'm going to do, you know, maybe 100 breweries, something like that. And I'm going to write a book, make a website. Actually, I wasn't going to write a book. I, 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 would, I was going to make like a website. Um, with a map on that you could like, you know, use to find all these breweries, find out more mm -hmm. about them. And sadly, I never really got the website up. Um, I'm actually really disappointed myself about that. But it, it doesn't mean that it still couldn't happen. But I did manage to get around 80 sake breweries in the one year. Not bad. That's not bad. That's yeah. Than, uh, yeah. yeah. It's all right. Week. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not going back into the food import industry at the moment, I understand. So tell us, what are you doing now? So um, I was working for um, a shop in Tokyo Station, uh, Hasegawa Sakiten, it's called. Mm -hmm. Pretty famous, you know, chain of uh, sake shops, especially sake shops. Yeah, I mean, great address for those who are here. Yeah, want to, uh, if you want to go out, you want to go, sake. yeah, high, buy high quality sake. We can't recommend this uh, these shops enough. So I was working, I worked for like two months in a part-time job. Um, and during my time at that shop, uh, just as I was thinking of leaving, actually, um, very often what would happen is sake breweries would come over and they would do like little sales demonstrations at this shop. And a brewery called uh, Tatsunokawa Shuzo was doing a sales demonstration and I got a tap on the shoulder, you know, just as I was there stocking the shelves. And the guy there, uh, Togami, uh, who was the, the manager for overseas sales at the time, he just just asked me like, what are you doing here? Why, why is a British guy working here? And, and, and ask, and I got an opportunity to kind of tell my story and, and the rest is history, I guess. Uh, you know, they asked me to come and work for them. 
And I think that is the main reason. The fact that I got the opportunity, that's the main reason that I didn't just go back to the UK and work for an importer over there. And, and so what are you doing? Well, what now? I'm doing now is I'm very, I'm kind of, well, I work for that brewery for a year. Um, actually more for that as a domestic sales guy. I was, I was working in department stores, giving sales demonstrations to Japanese customers, you know, because I'm really tall and I stand out a mile. They really wanted to exploit that, I think. So I was stood there in department stores and you get these like kind of like old people coming over and go, oh, you want to try your sake? It looks really interesting. And so it was kind of fun. I got to, you know, use my knowledge and, and uh, marketing skills. And so I did that for a year. But I I saw the opportunity with the Olympics and with the World Cup. I, I saw the opportunity to actually promote sake overseas from inside Japan, number one. Number two, I didn't really want to be tied to just one sake brewery. I wanted to see more of the industry as a whole. I wanted the freedom to go out and kind of um, do all kinds of different jobs. I really wanted to make the most of my time in Japan. And, you know, one thing and another, I, and I got an, a job opportunity to work for uh, Courant, which is a, um, they're run by a company called Liquor Innovation. And basically it's kind of like a, a string of all-you-can-taste bars you just go there, you know, and there's tables and, you know, chairs and a fridge full of a hundred different types of sake. And people go there, bring their own food, and you can just kind of like leisurely taste all, all sorts of different types of sake. And I, I now work for Karand in a kind of freelance capacity. And basically, I would say that sake is very much my side job. Um, just, you know, working in the sake industry here is quite difficult for a non-Japanese yeah. person i would say um, that's not because there's any discrimination or anything like that it's just that there aren't really many jobs for us to do here that are already set up you have to kind of create your own work if you like so what i've started to do is kind of um, market myself and market my skills and my knowledge and right now because of the olympics and you know the rugby world cup there's a lot of different opportunities coming from here there and everywhere I mean, I was uh, expecting that the word would, would come out um, earlier, but I see you as a great sake educator, actually. Yeah, that's kind of a recent development, I have to say. So about two, two years ago now, uh, in 2000 and uh, end of 2016, I was attending a sake event and a very nice uh, lady and a very, very, very important and influential person in the sake industry, a Japanese lady called Hiraidi Toshie, um, she came over and, you know, asked me how I'm doing. And, and it's funny, actually, at that time, I was almost wondering if it might be time to go back to the UK. And, you know, I was telling my story and I think she was worried maybe that I was going to leave. And she said, Chris, Chris, WSCT is coming to Japan. And I'd been waiting. I'd been waiting for this moment. Uh, I already knew who WSCT were because of my links with various people in London who set this course you up. You have to uh, tell us. Okay, so... Um, WSCT uh, is an abbreviation for a Wine, Spirits and Education Trust. And they offer a wine qualification that is probably, you know, one of the, the most uh, respected. respected qualifications in the world. Um, it's a prerequisite if you want to be a judge on the International Wine Challenge panel. So, yeah, they, uh, they set up this uh, sake course. They set up a sake course in 2014. Uh, Anthony Moss and uh, uh, Kiku Yanatsuki, who we've already had on the show, mm -hmm. um, set that up. And I was waiting a long time. I was like, oh, when's this coming to Japan? Because I knew I wanted to be the one to teach this. So in 2016, Hiraide Toshie, she said, yeah, well, I'll put you forward. I'll recommend you. So 
would you like to become an educator? And then I went to Kyoto and uh, did the educators course. And I've been teaching it ever since. So, I mean, what's sake in your, in your daily life today? I mean, how much, how much of it do you drink? <laughs> Probably not enough. Maybe it might surprise you. I don't drink it every day. You know, I'm conscious about the negative impact on my health and I try to avoid drinking it excessively. I do end up tasting a lot of sake in my job. Um, but when I go out in Japan, you know, at night, and even if it's not a Japanese izakaya, I always ask, is there a sake on the menu? I always try and, you know, order sake if I can. And I, I love it. Do you cook at home? No, I don't really cook. No? I have to confess. Maybe I should get into that. I, I mean, I can. I cook a mean oyakudon. But, um, yeah, my, my girlfriend does most of the cooking. So what's, what's your, or what are your, your dreams? I mean, for yourself and for, for sake, maybe? I just want for sake to be something that everyone is drinking without any kind of misconceptions you know not something that you have to introduce to people you know it's something that people ask you for i think once we get to that stage then we will have an official sake boom but right now we're still got a very long way to go but that's my dream yeah and i think it can happen definitely uh, is there a particular sake type that you like or that you like to talk about And you know what, I think I would have answered this differently um, just a year ago, actually. Recently, I'm really starting to like the more quirky, idiosyncratic flavors. How, how do you define quirky? So, you know these sake that have kind of got a bit of oxidation in mm -hmm. them? Okay. And where you're really bringing out the flavors of the rice, and you get all these amazing caramel and toffee flavors in there. And that's completely different to what I was drinking just a year ago. I mean, just a year ago, I was drinking the more fruity and floral types, you know, like the ginjo, daiginjo. But I'm starting to gravitate more towards jimmai that have been, that have had hardly any polishing and that have got a, that little bit of kind of oxidized touch to them. I mean, when you work for your I mean, mm. the brewery, mm. um, you probably spend some time I mean, helping the brewers learning yeah. about the process is bring sake one of your dreams well so as you quite rightly said my first kind of experience brewing sake was it was kind of a um, training if you like yeah. when i was working when i worked for tatano kawashizo they invited me up to the brewery to sort of spend a week trying my hand at various different parts of the process and that includes the boring parts as well like bottling where it's very therapeutic but it's quite boring you know it's mainly just kind of manual labor and but i did get to go into the brewery and i had a whole day a whole day and they've got rid of the toji system so what they just kind of have like a foreman if you like but a very nice guy and he said in the morning uh, on that day chris Just tell me what you want to try. You can go into the koji room. You can, you know, stir the mash. You can do whatever you want. And so I did. I spent the whole day trying my hand at absolutely everything. I spent like an hour in the koji room, you know. Um, mm. just And it was so much fun. It wasn't hard work at all. But I know they were going easy on me. And I know that, you know, that was kind of, that was a very soft introduction into sake brewing. I've had a little bit more experience more recently. Uh, Marumoto Shuzo in Okayama. I got to know Marumoto Shuzo in London. And I'm very, very good friends with the CEO. And uh, he always emailing me, asking me to go down and visit. And they, they said, why don't you come down and just help us with a bit of brewing and, and come and watch. And the, what I love about sake brewing is that every brewery does their brewing just a little bit different. 
So you always learn something new. It's yeah. always very different. I mean, that was one of my questions. I mean, yeah. you visited 80 different places. Yeah. Um, what fascinated you about them? Oh, so different. Also mm -hmm. different from just like arriving and seeing the fronts of the brewery. You know, you've got these breweries that are out in the, the kind of more munis municipal areas surrounded by local housing, you know, mm -hmm. residential housing. Then you've got these breweries which are out in the middle of the mountains, you know, or out in the middle of the countryside. And I would say like just going and seeing how the, the shop front, if you like, of all these breweries is so different. When I was visiting these breweries, I have to say, I was visiting, I often visited them in the summer months when they aren't brewing. So you mm -hmm. can't actually see any brewing. And even so, it was just so interesting. You know, I mean, the brewery tour itself was pretty short. But then if the brewery is growing their own rice, you get to go out in the fields and see them, you know, how they grow their rice and just the architecture of the brewery. And uh, a lot of breweries have these little museums and things that you can go and, and visit. And the tools and the, and the tools that you can see. Yeah, the tools, tools as well. Yeah, yeah. Every brewery was so different. And the, the other, I mean, I, I, a lot of these breweries that I were visiting, I already knew the owner um, or the people working there, someone working there quite well. So they looked after me. You know, I got a sort of quite special tour, got to go out and, and eat with the owner or the toji or whatever afterwards at their local izakaya. And um, it's just a very personal experience, you know. And of course, they tell me their story. A lot of what I learned about sake in the, old, in the early days was not from textbooks um, or the internet. It was really just from the brewers firsthand, mm -hmm. and it was very privi great privilege, I think. We've got some great stories to tell. I mean, is there, is there one in particular that you'd like to, uh, yeah. to talk about? Some, one what's, that surprised you? In yeah, there are so many. I mean, like I was really surprised to learn of uh, Sake's deep link with no theater. Okay. Yeah, tell uh, me about I it. learned that on a visit to a brewery in Tochigi Prefecture, uh, Watanabe Shuzo. Okay. And uh, we were talking about how like sake has different links in Japanese culture and things like that, how it's intertwined with Japanese culture. And out of the blue, I think he just said, yeah, yeah, our sake used to be uh, enjoyed in a local no performance or something. Did you know that sake was something that was enjoyed by watching no? And it's a very kind of common part of sake culture. No, I didn't, you know. <laughs> uh, just little things as well. Like you, uh, maybe you've heard that they often play music to the Moromi, right? Because yep. maybe mm -hmm. they... There's no kind of scientific proof, but people, some people think that maybe the sound waves kind of, you know, influence the Moromi. I can believe that. So they used to sing a song, right, when they were brewing. Yeah. And now, now some breweries play music like jazz or rock. And I went to one brewery, I went to a brewery in Gifu Prefecture, and uh, I learned they, they play kabuki to their Moromi. How cool is that? Great story. All these different links with different parts of Japanese culture. Yeah, so story. cool. But you know, one of the, the, the best stories I, I heard early on, which still I think is probably one of the best stories, one of the best sake stories I've ever heard, is, I mean, a lot of our listeners will have heard of the brand Dasai. You're allowed to mention the brand Dasai. Can I go away with it for just this one show? Um, and, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all of sake, so don't just go out and drink Dasai. But their story is fantastic. And it's like, so the, their name translates to Otter Festival. And I learned that the reason for this naming is that then it's named after a poet who I think is from the area. Uh, it's Masao Kishiki, isn't it? He's yeah. a very famous poet. And he, he, the story goes that he was very a very untidy person. And when he was making music or poems, he used to scatter his notes about in, in his room. And um, in a similar way that otters scatter their fish on the riverbanks. Mm -hmm. 
And it looks like to people, it looks almost as if the otters are kind of having a festival. And that's yeah. where the naming comes from. It kind of has a local link and it also has this kind of dreamy image of otters scattering fish on the, the riverside. And I just thought, wow, there are those kind of stories in sake. And it's really the stories that hooked me. You know, every time I was trying to sell a brand of sake in the UK, I'd always go to the brewer and I'd say, look, tell me your story. Give me a story to sell to people, you know, to sell this brand. Because to people who aren't Japanese, you know, I mean, the the label is all in Japanese. You know, it's like hieroglyphics, isn't it? You can't read the label. Uh, there's nothing to associate, to relate with. And I think that relatability is really important. It's all part of education as well. And when you're not drinking sake, and you're not drinking sake all the time, yeah, what what do you do in Japan? What, what's... Um, a lot of the time, well, you know, obviously I work here. You know, what are my hobbies, I guess you're asking, right? So uh, actually, you know, I like mystery novels. And I haven't mystery read any in a while, actually, but I, I really like mystery novels. And I'll tell you something. I think... In the UK, so we we are one of the countries that created this uh, this so-called golden age of mystery. It's a type of mystery where you have a central character who's doing a kind of mundane job, a mundane type of profession, who also happens to be a sleuth. And he'll be in, you know, I mean, this is silly, but he'll be put into a situation where there's a murder or, or some kind of mystery. And he has this amazing brain and he's able to solve these, you know, mysteries. And I really love that. So, and the thing about Japan is that it didn't grow out of this golden age of mystery, and they still have a lot of different series running. Um, so if you really like this type of mystery, there are plenty of novels that you can go out and buy. So I recently found, it's a manga, but I recently, um, there's a manga series called Kindaichi uh, Shonen. Kindaichi Shonen is basically, um, it's a mystery series. The, the central character, it starts off as a high school kid. He's got an amazing brain, like he's a genius. And he basically solves these mysteries. And now like now they've they've grown the series. So they've kind of gone through as he gets older, they've kind of released different series. So we're at, we're at kind of he's in his 30s now and he's working mm -hmm. for a company and they, but he's still solving these mysteries. But anyway, they recently released the story in a brewery, in a sake brewery. So a murder happens in a sake brewery. And you know it's funny because I was thinking about 2 years ago, I was thinking of writing my own. Mm. Like, I was thinking of writing a mystery series where the central character is a sommelier or a, a sake brewer or something who actually solves mysteries in his kind of... But I, I approached a brewer once with this idea and they didn't really kind of take to it very positively. It was kind of, don't really want murders happening in breweries. So I was like, okay, for I won't do that. Oh, you have to put the reference um, on the bottom of our uh, web, yeah. I mean, website on next post about this particular interview. Yeah, yeah. Go and get it. Yeah. It's and great, I, it's and great. I have a job for you is to bring uh, Natsuko no Sake to uh, to the UK. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is a manga series. Um, I haven't actually read it. I have to confess. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of manga you can read about sake. I mean, probably my. Uh, I think I recommended it in a previous show, but one of the best that really taught me a lot about sake, actually, scientific stuff and technical stuff as well, is Moyashimon. Which is ba it's basically a manga about fermentation. I haven't read it. It doesn't focus too heavily on sake, but there are about three volumes that delve really deep into sake. And the way they explain some of the process is fantastic. You know, have pictures, things in pictures. Did, did it influence the way you teach it sake? Did. It did. It influenced the way I teach Yamahai. Because I only ever saw Yamaha, I only ever really taught Yamaha and Kimoto how, how it's kind of written in textbooks. So, you know, it's all about keeping the bad bacteria out. The way Moyashimon teaches Yamaha and Kimoto is a battle between all these different microbes, a battle for survival. 
And it actually draws it out as a battle. That's how I teach Yamaha and Kimoto. It makes it so much easier to understand. So, Chris, I mean, let me make one thing clear. Had you discovered sake in Japan before diving into the sake world? Now, this is something that always surprises a lot of people. Um, and it's a question that I, I asked a lot. And no, actually, I had never discovered sake in Japan. It's really weird. I, I often think back, like, how did I... How did I not discover sake in Japan? I mean, we're in there two months, and then a year, and then two months again. Like, why? I'd had I'd had awamori, and I'd had shochu, but I still didn't know what sake was. I still hadn't had sake. The thing is that I ended up discovering sake first through Chinese restaurants or, you know, yeah, like kind of pseudo-Japanese restaurants. You know, if you go out into the countryside in the UK, it's still the case now, actually, in some places. We have Japanese restaurants, but they're run by Chinese or not Chinese. Maybe they're run by local people who have a kind of distorted image about what Japanese cuisine should be or what a Japanese restaurant should be. And the menu is the same. So you have things on the menu that are labeled as certain things which aren't. And, and sake is one of those. So I remember going out to a restaurant with my teacher, with my Japanese teacher during university. And um, yeah, sake was served at the restaurant. And I don't know what the hell that was, but it was terrible. Really, really, really bad. I'm not going to name the restaurant. I don't even know if it still exists, but just completely ruined any chance of me discovering sake at that point. What is your first memory of Japan? Or, or how, how, what was your first contact with Japan? Mm. The country? Yeah, I'll never forget it. So, you know, I, I arrived jet-lagged into Nagoya Airport uh, in June 2002. And I had to, I'd booked a ryokan, you know. And actually, I recommend to anyone who's going to Japan for the first time, just dive straight into Japanese culture. Get, get yourself a ryokan booking. They're fantastic. So anyway, I had to find this ryokan. And I don't know why. I decided to pick a ryokan with a name I couldn't pronounce. <laughs> I'd still not mastered. This was like in my first year of Japanese study. I still hadn't mastered the hu. It's kind of like a the 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 F U sound in Japanese. It's kind of like a cross between an H and an F. But if you get it wrong, people can't understand you. So I walked out of the airport and I, I don't know why. I decided to ask this kind of Yakuza looking guy, um, you know, this old guy kind of <laughs> sturdy. You know, he was he was friendly enough. And I, I, I said to him, I said to him with my very, very basic Japanese, I I could I got my I got a book, like a guidebook with basic sentences in, and I'd mastered like uh nani nani wa doko desu ka? Where is such and such place? So I said in my best Japanese, it was the, I still remember the name of the Ryokan. It was Ichi Fuji Ryokan. And it's like Ichi Fuji is the way you would pronounce it. But I said Ichi Fuji um, to this Japanese guy. He said Ichi Fuji Ryokan wa doko desu ka? And he just looked at me like like I just I don't know. I just asked him to kill himself or something, you know, like re like just right the dead death stare. And then and then in this is the best put down line you will ever hear. If you go to a foreign country, it's not this is what you don't want to hear. He said. He said, Omae, Nihongo hete anna. And um, that Which was it. It was like, it was like, Which you know, basically means you know, your, your Japanese you know, is very poor. Yeah, <laughs> my, it means basically your Japanese is terrible. And um, if, you know, in manga, when the kind of the character, when something like happens and the character kind of just like goes like, you get that sound, dong, and the character just like kind of got a blue, like a blue color. <laughs> That's basically what happened to me. I did find the Ryokan. After a little bit of better pronunciation, asking some slightly more friendly kind of people. 
you were very motivated to uh, run some of our early uh, podcasts about uh, terroir, about pairing in particular. I mean, or crazy. Why, 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 <laughs> why attracts you uh, with pairing in particular? So food pairing has become a massive part of my work. And one thing that I didn't really possess as a skill to begin with, naturally, is tasting, I have to say. I wasn't a very good taster to begin with, probably because I didn't have the wine background. Tasting was always difficult for me. Like I would go to breweries. In my first year here, I would be visiting breweries and I was just really struggling to make tasting notes for for sake. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing that WST has helped me to do is to make tasting notes productively, right? You know, in a kind of a systematic way. And I mean, f food pairing in, in general, I think uh, working for the brewery for a year, I did, used to, I did a lot of events like in restaurants and things and, and uh, food pairing would come up a lot then. Um, I can't quite put my finger on exactly at what point, what point kind of food pairing became a massive part of my role, but it's a massive part of my role. And I don't know anything about, I didn't know, I should say past tense, I didn't know anything about food pairing. And so for me, it was just any opportunity to study about food pairing and sake, any opportunity to experience food pairing and sake. And I just think it's the most exciting, most interesting, most unexplored part of working in the sake industry right now. And the story needs to be written. Yes, the story needs to be written. The book needs to be written, yeah, the right? Book if we need a book, maybe we don't need a book. Maybe it'll, have, it'll take some other form, but... That's where the real potential for sake is. So we have to go down that rabbit hole. We have to go down those rabbit holes and we have to explore more about food pairing. So I'm really looking forward to maybe doing a part two food pairing episode because I've discovered a lot of things after doing that. I think we're getting toward the end of this interview. Is there something special that you want to say to our listeners today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I discovered sake by sort of having someone, you know, give this really charismatic presentation, tell me about the story of sake, tell me about the culture, the history. And I think that's the best way to discover sake. So if you haven't discovered sake yet, and you, it's kind of been putting you off in some way or other, a bit frightened to try it, just go out there and discover the story of sake. Get someone to tell you the story of sake and, and, then, and then give it a try. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chris. Thank you. Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Rebecca Wilson-Lai and to my right is Shuzo Imada, the General Manager of JSS Information Center and one of the quiet heroes behind the scenes at Sake on Air. And it's my great pleasure to be interviewing uh, Mr. Shimada today because while you might not be hearing so much of him on the interviews and the segments that we put together, he really is the mover and shaker behind the scenes. He's the man that guides us and with his wisdom and knowledge allows us to make sake on air available for you all. So, good evening, Mr. Good. Imara. Yeah, good evening. Nice Can I call you Imara-san? Well, no, <laughs> That's much more natural for me. So, it's as I said, it's a real delight to be able to sit down with you tonight and because I'm actually really curious to know more about you Mm -hmm. about your journey through this glorious world of sake and shochu and just to know a little bit more of your background. Um, 
Who was the man? Wow. Shuzo Imara. Wow. <laughs> so let's begin. Born in Tokyo in 1960. Yeah. So long you're, time a, ago. you're actually a Tokyo native, which is quite rare these days, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Tokyo is a big city. There are many, many Tokyo natives. Most people, like the person sitting on the left of you, came from other places, though.、Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> my origin, well, I was born and my father was born in Tokyo, but my grandfather is from Hiroshima, so. Oh. And my mother is from, also from Hiroshima, so. Maybe half of me are Hiroshima. Quick question.、Mm-hmm. Imada. Yeah. Imada Shuzo, Hiroshima.、Yeah. Is there a connection there? Well, yeah, that's, that's where my grandfather was born. And well, he, he, his elder brother has succeeded the brewery, and now his granddaughter is, works as a president, also as a toji of the Imada Shuzo Brewery. So, for keen eared listeners, you've probably worked out what I'm talking about. For those that might not make the connection, we're talking about Fukucho,、yeah. which is a wonderful sake brewed by Imada Shuzo、um, in Hiroshima. And the toji, or the master brewer, Miho Imara is a pioneering female、mm-hmm. master brewer and she's doing really wonderful things, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. Well, I've known her for many, many years. <laughs> It's funny that the sake world is a very, very small world indeed, isn't well, it? Well, that's right. That's right. It、yeah. often happens. So, well, let's start with. Where we are now, we're in the JSS Information Center,、mm-hmm. and you're the, the general manager of this. Can you tell us a little bit about what your work is、um, at the JSS Information okay, Center? Okay. Well, JSS stands for Japan Sake and Chochu Makers Association, which is a sort of central organization of about 1,700 sake and sake breweries and chochu distilleries. And we do, you know,、um, central things like Promoting the industry itself while doing lots of seminars in a technical fields, also buying rice from the, the agricultural. I think sake brewers would say that is definitely one of the most important parts of what、um, the Sake and Shochu Makers、mm-hmm. Association does. And that's right, that's right. I think people see the events and they think, oh, wow, the, the Makers Association puts on lots of great events. But that Work that they do is essential、mm-hmm. in the community of sake and shochu, isn't it? Well, very important part of it, I think. So, you're at the information center,、mm-hmm. and we can see a lot of information, obviously, well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not in Japanese. So, can you tell us about the. Okay. Well, this place is quite small, but located in a very central of Tokyo.、Uh, In the neighborhood from a very coarse station, s like Shinbush and Toranamon. So you have a very good access to here. And it's small, but has all the information about Saki and Chochu World, including the information of the breweries. And,、uh, and also, we usually have about 100 items、uh, to taste. So many, many of the people can, who visit here come here to visit,、um, I mean, taste several Saki and Chochu. It's definitely a place that. Must be on one's、um, bucket list when they come to Tokyo, yeah, I, think. I think. It's、so. a place to come and enjoy sake from across Japan,、that's、from、right. Hokkaido down to Okinawa, I'm、that's、sure. Right, that's right. And gather information from every single 
Brewery and Prefecture in between. Mm -hmm. It really is an incredible, not only place to, as you say, taste sake, but also gather information yeah, yeah. as well. You know, experience sake is quite difficult for the people if you don't come to this kind of place. If you just go to Izakaya and see the menus, there are so many of it. And there are so many, I mean, types of sakes and from so many different regions. So you, it, it's hard for many people to compare or understand about its, you know... Um, its diversity. It's such a diverse right, market, right, isn't that's it? That's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's a wonderful place for non-Japanese mm -hmm. to come and feel comfortable. Well, I want this place to be like that because this is a gateway for, you know, both domestic and international people to learn about sake. So most of the menus and every science are made with Japanese and English. And you do also the Sake 2020 project seminars here as well, don't you? Oh, that's right. Well, Sake 2020 project is, you know, different from Sake Anemi Makers Association of Japan, uh, Sake and Chochu. But it's a kind of volunteer activities to promote sake, to, to make a basement for infrastructure for the foreigners to enjoy Sake and Chochu until the year of 2020. So for those who haven't been fortunate enough to attend a Sake 2020 project event, they are seminars with usually one sake brewery. Mm -hmm. Is that that's correct? That's right, that's right. And the presentation, can you tell us about that? Presentation of, of the breweries to 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 tell the stories about the, the brewery, the, the, the histories and secrets about the, the brewery. Fascinating. <laughs> that's right. Which is yeah. most interesting for many people. And it's all in English. Well, that's right. That's sometimes right. the brewer is speaking Japanese, but there is translation provided. The, that's right. The you know, they're a good bi bilingual person like you and Justin, Chris. And Chris, yeah. Well, actually, all the team. Mm -hmm. um, we rotate. So someone's chopping carrots one that's week, right. <laughs> someone's pouring glasses, someone's right. presenting. So um, it's a really great forum. So I'd just like to make a little plug for what you're doing with that because that's also another wonderful opportunity mm -hmm. for an international community to join and right. um, get involved in sake education. Well, actually, the event was called Sake Salon. And it was during that event that we first came to think about, well, talk, talk a bit about this Sake on Air project, because there are so many, I mean, you know, the, 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 the international uh, members who helped the event were so talented, knowledgeable about Sake, and looking at them being here, we, we thought that we can do something else. Well, it's actually thanks to you <laughs> that this all came about. You know, it's really fortunate that we're able to share your story with the wider sake on air community Thank and you. get to know a little bit more about you. So let's go back to Tokyo, 1960. Okay. Okay. So My you history. experienced the first Olympics in mm -hmm. Tokyo. That's right. right, 1964, when I was four. I was going to my kindergarten there. So I'm curious about that time, 1960s, 1970s. Well, I'm actually fascinated by Japan was, that period of history. Japan was quite different then. I mean, well, not as wealthy <laughs> like these days. So, you know, it's it's a world of black and white pictures mm -hmm. <laughs> in my memory because things are not so colorful then. 
Mm. Everything is not so colorful. Mm. Every, you know, wooden wooden houses all over. Well, I, I was I was living quite in the middle of Tokyo, close to Nihonbashi. It's quite the center of Tokyo, but still, around my house, all the houses were wooden made, not fancy like now. Sounds no idyllic to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, my father my father built a three floor building which is not not big but from the top of the building we can see Tokyo Tower and Mount Fuji there then wow. that's impossible now wow because there there are no buildings around <laughs> three floors building was the the, the highest amazing so wow that, what a, that's the time is like what a that. precious memory to have well <laughs> it's a poor life <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's a good memory though I'm curious what your experience of sake was in the 60s and 70s growing up in, in Tokyo in those days. Actually, I, I didn't have a very good image about sake when I was young. I've been grown up in a, well, my grandfather, as I told you, was a son of the brewery in Hiroshima. And our family business, he, he came to Tokyo to, to sell their products. And he started a retail shop and then moved to a wholesaler. So I was born as a son of the whole sake wholesaling company. So I've been always been surrounded by sake. Again, sounds idyllic to me. Well, but how was that to that's, you? That's many people say. <laughs> <but laughs> for small children like me, you know, being in the middle of sake is not such a happy thing because you know I I didn't know how what sake tastes like. I I have no idea about how being drunk is or so I, I just saw the people who's you know who drink sake every day and get drunk and you know speak in a loud voice that's scary to a small mm-hmm. children like me at that time so I and my young elder sister you know hid, <laughs> hide away hid away from the scary sake, from sake the drinkers scary sake. That's, that's, <laughs> right, that's, right. that's often happened so that makes me feel bad image about sake and did that negative mm-hmm. image continue? Well, continue quite a long time, I think, right. until I get an adult. Right. I would think that sake was the dominant alcoholic mm-hmm. beverage yeah, yeah, of choice. Yeah, yeah. Is that, that true? Time, when I was small, the, the top share, of course, was sake, more than beer. Right. Beer was more expensive thing. Wow. <laughs> well, it's changed now, but... Sake was very much a part of daily mm-hmm. life was it a part of your family I mean other than the business for example was it on the dinner table when you had meals or well maybe maybe in many family things so things goes like that but my in my family my grandfather both my grandfather and father couldn't take any alcohol it's it's like an allergy kind of thing so uh they didn't drink any almost any they taste they because that's their job. They taste every day, but they spit it everything out. And they never, I, I never saw them drinking alcohol on the table, in the dinner table. I suspect they probably had a very good business then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, people says it's, well, they said it's better not to be, you know, able to drink. Because if you like sake and drink so much, you know, you always taste it for, for their pr- preference and not, can't can't look at this very objectively. What was your drink of choice when you started to become an adult drinker? Yeah, uh, wine, 
Right. Why not sake? Because I didn't have a good image of sake. Still, 20 years. Yeah. Also, also, sake at that time didn't taste so good, maybe, right. as now. So, I, of course, I, you know, I, I was forced to drink and I drank a lot. And it, from my young, younger, quite younger age, I, my, my father and my grandfather let me taste sake. So I knew how sake tastes like, maybe, maybe more than everybody else. Yeah. But still, I didn't have a, such a good image of it. It was the boom era. That was when sake was riding high there. And then, you know, during that time, brewers were making money mm-hmm. and were able to invest in new technology to At make more time, premium sake. When sake breweries are rich, we are not, there, there are two directions. One goes to the, there's kind of high technique or high, you know, uh, way of reserving things, but many of them thought about producing more and more, big production, right. you know, because the, the economy was growing, they thought about making more and more. Right. So instead of investing in investing elevating the quality. quality, it was about investing in technology that could make you produce more. More, Yeah. That was a tendency at the time of the year, I think. Right. I remember. Right. But I'd like to just go back to your resume a little if I can, because I believe that you graduated from the Hito Tsubashi University Law Department. Uh And you went to work at Nippon Steel Corporation, which doesn't sound like a sake distributor or a sake brewery, Imada-san. What was going on there? Well, because I... Well, I, I, I told you, <laughs> as I told you, I was not too much interested in sake. You really didn't I, like it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was not a strong drinker also. So I, you know, I studied what I wanted. I, I studied international law, and I wanted to be a diplomat and work for the United Nations kind of thing. <laughs> and, well, I, I walked... Saying that, I, I didn't study so much, so I didn't pass the exam for it of being a diplomat. So that's why I went to uh, Nippon State Corporation, which which looked for me is very far away from the sake industry. So is that why you can speak English? Well, uh, yeah, I, I've always been interested in uh, language. I, I don't know where I learned my English, but I, I studied uh, one year and the United States going to university. Amazing. You're a genius. You went one year at university and you came back fluent. I've been here for 14 years, still struggling with hello sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> in my younger days, I, I, I was singing in a band and I was a vocalist. <laughs> so I have to learn by heart every relics. And that's what kind of was it a rock band? That's a rock band. It's a progressive rock band. Imada-san, the secrets are coming out. We <laughs> need to know more about this. No, come on, pray tell. Tell us about the rock band. What was its name? <laughs> well, the band's name was Eastwind. Eastwind. Eastwind was the name of the band, and we played music like Pink Floyd. And did you have long hair? <laughs> did you have a ponytail? Well, <laughs> no. Oh. I mean, <laughs> money, <laughs> time, money. And we played uh, many tunes from Yes, the band Yes. Amazing. And, and Yes has a very, very long, long relic. So I, I had to learn everything by heart that, and practiced how to sing it. In so English. your vocals, and did you play an instrument as well? 
A little piano. A little piano. Yeah. There is another keyboard player. So sometimes I play piano. Amazing. Do you still play music? Well, once in a while. We are totally making that happen. (laughs) Stay tuned for the next live concert of Eastwind, the reunion special coming live from the JSS Information Centre. We are totally making that happen. (laughs) So, wow. So, you were interested in music. Yeah. I I like many things, but mainly music and I like to paint. So, uh, I did lots of paintings. What? What style are you, sort of um, portraiture or landscapes? I I, I like the portrait. Mm -hmm. I I like to draw human. Right. And, yeah, lots of illustrations. Any influences, any artistic influences that particularly (laughs) appealed to you? Well, you know, at at first a lot from this impressionist thing, but I, I love lots of modern arts. Japanese artists as well? Not or more much. international? Not, yeah, I think it's more international. Well, what we're sort of hearing, and I think it's a very common thread mm-hmm. through this part of your life, is that in the sort of 80s, you were very much looking out from Japan mm-hmm. to the rest of the so. world. Would you say that's right? I think so. I was more interested in looking outside of Japan than looking inside of Japan, I think. I think so. That's the tendency of my generation, I think, compared to my ch- you know, children's generation. So would you would it be too much of a stretch to say that this generation you know, it it's like it's like, you know, me from New Zealand, you know, I'm mm-hmm. so used to New Zealand, it's all I've ever known that I just spent my life looking away from it, mm-hmm. looking at the rest of the world. <laughs> um and Japan is also a small country. Right. And so would you say that perhaps not just looking away from Japan, but maybe looking away from Japanese traditional culture and art. I think so. Was also part of that? I think so. Well, because, you know, that's that's the history of modern Japan, I think. You know, Japan is, has always been pursuing the culture of the Western countries after the World War II, I think, to 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 catch up with them was the, the slogan for most of the Japanese people. And I'm the end of that generation, I think. And now it's kind of gone full circle and this Uh generation seems to be looking back to Japan. I think so. I think so. Because, well, there has been a shift change, you know, to to see outside of Japan. And, well, there's a shift change that we have realized what we have. There, there, There was a timing for us to to look back inside of us. Well, if I look at your resume once again, there was a sort of a a look back, a return for you because after your time at Nippon Steel, you mm-hmm. became a board member at your family's mm-hmm. distribution company. Yeah, so yeah. you actually went back to sake. What yeah. what brought that about? Well, cuz cuz I was the only son and you know, there there is nobody who can succeed the business. So my, my father always looked at me seriously and, you know, in a serious tone, what would you do? So, no. so it was duty, oh, duty calls, family yeah, duty calls. That's right. So you returned, no to the, you returned to the family company and you merged with another company, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In about 2002 or four, our company was merged with the same style 
wholesaling company, which is called Ota Shoten, and became a little larger scale company. How was the sack industry at that time? Mm, at, well, it's a turning point. So our, our company mainly pursued the, the, the sake, which is the, the brewery, which is not very big and have a good quality type of sake. So those breweries has been increasing at that time too. At the same time, many of the, 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 the big, huge companies began to go into decline. Go, go into decline. And so I'm curious though, because now we are here mm -hmm. and during that time, going back into the family business, was it there that you had your sake reawakening? That's interesting for me too. You know, looking back, <clears throat> I've always, uh, af even after succeeding my family business, I wasn't too much interested in sake. And I started uh, by studying wines at first. And I got a wine advisor, advisor uh, certification at first. After maybe about 20 years of my job, I coincidentally drank uh, sake. Yukinobosha, which is from Akita Prefecture. I remember when I first drank that too. Uh -huh. I think everyone's got a Yukinobosha story. I Tell so. me yours. Well, you know, uh, as I told you, I, I, I wasn't a very strong drinker. I couldn't drink so much. But first time I drank that Yukinobosha, I, I could drink easily this one cup, which is about Ichigo, maybe 180, 180 milliliters. And I didn't get that. I mean, I was quite surprised that I could drink that much without any difficulty. Do you remember the flavor or the expression of it? Was that, that also a standout for you? It's a, actually is a Yamaha Junmai with a black label. Do you know that? And I had a feeling that, well, that the feeling I had was that the sake was very, very mild, smooth, and soft, which... I, I couldn't live together with sake, but for, for, for that sake, I, I, could, I could go along with it yeah. without any difficulty. That's the feeling I had about so that sake. So your awakening yeah. came from Yukinobosha. And how did that develop and become the turning point for you? Yeah. You know, being able to drink sake is quite different from just tasting sake and evaluating sake you know i before that i was evaluating i had a good you know uh tongue and nose so i was pretty good at you know tasting evaluating th things but it's interesting but not enjoyable but once you can you can drink sake the world totally changed for me so i started you know really tasting it enjoy drinking other sakes you know slowly but surely and then I began to find very different aspect of sake, I think, in a, in a good way. And after that, I just had been drinking. <laughs> and some, so, some, someday, I, I mean, I was surprised to find myself drinking only sake and not wine. So totally my favorite has changed. So what is your association with sake now? Not technically... For yeah. a description of sake, but more of a 
What does the sake world mean to you? My meeting with sake was, you know, quite when I was old. It's not any, you know, too much passionate kind of love. (laughs) It's more stable. Mm. So my association with sake is pretty good aged couple, like kind of thing. (laughs) Comfortable, yeah. (laughs) Comfortable, very comfortable. Yeah. And it's about, it's, it's, there's no rush exactly. It's a long, stable, Mm -hmm. life enhancing relationship. Yeah. You went on to found your own company. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After doing, well, you know, because I've been doing distribution uh, thing for like 25 years. I was get tired of it. I mean, you know, because distribution is just buying things from somebody and selling to, to somebody. It's a, it's a middle distribution. So doesn't produce any value into the market. So I was kind of, I was tired of just just doing that. So I, I, I wanted to be more in a producer side. Uh, that's why I uh, quit it. My job as a wholesaler and started a company who does a market marketing consultation for the breweries, and that's not for a long time, only four years. But for that four years, I worked with several breweries and a very very good experience to know about the market. Which is, you know, if you work from the distribution uh, point of view, and if you work from the the brewery side of view it's that the, the world looks quite different and being in a maker side was very very good experience now yeah. and did it give you a different understanding about the needs that need to be addressed maybe in the wider sake community and in the sake market to sort of reverse the decline of the sake market and to help rebuild it did it give you a better insight to how we could do things better well the change has begun in these several decades, I think. And the, the biggest shift change was the, the, the change of the generation of the breweries, I think. That's the biggest thing which has happened in these 20 or 30 years. And that change have changed the quality of sake itself totally. Because, you know, sake used to be made by a toji-san, which is a seasonal worker and toji-sans well there are many good toji-sans but they're hired brewers and their most important job is to 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 make something good not the best you know if, if the quality is good it's okay they don't challenge they don't need to challenge but the younger generation now often are the, the son of the breweries and as they're the son of the breweries, they can challenge everything and they they can do he wants to make. That, or daughters what, of the breweries yeah, in the face yeah. of Imarashuzo. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah. That's so right. your your family is part of that new movement, part of that change. Yeah. Maybe maybe the maybe one of the first changes, I think. Yeah. Indeed, for someone who's was so reluctant to be part of the sake community, mm-hmm. it's been a big full circle. Yeah. Really I think for so. you, hasn't it? Well, I have seen her challenge for a long time, so <laughs> I can't say it easily. But you know, it's a it's a long time of struggle for her. But and we are grateful for the struggle that she puts in mm. year after year, 
most definitely. Those of us who have been living in Japan, those of us who have been in the sack industry, saw and felt this movement, saw and felt this change. I do remember it changing mm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, when would you sort of pinpoint that change? What sort of dates around was it? I think the it's Juyondai's Taka Takagi-san was the change, I think. That's a key point of these several decades. That's a big change. Can you explain? A lot of listeners won't know what Takagi Brewery well, or Juyondai is. Well, Juyondai is a very famous brand uh, made by Takagi Brewery uh, in Yamagata Prefecture. And at that time, well, that was in 90s, I think. 1996. Six or so. Yeah, at that time, the, 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 the industry, whole industry is declining, and they couldn't imagine about the bright future at that time. And his father was the, the 14th generation's brewery, and he told his son that he was going to quit the brewery because there is no bright future in the future. But the son, the Akitsuna son, uh, was studying in the, the Tokyo University of Agriculture, the brewing, so he wanted to, well, he he wanted to try something before quitting the job, that the brewery. So he asked his father to let him make his own sake, and he did it, and it happened to be a very very big hit. And I believe he was only twenty six years old. I think so. Yeah, I met him at that time, but there is no Juyondai brand. Uh, he he he's made well. His name card says Asahidaka, which is a the, his uh, old, the old, old family brewery, old family um, brewery brand. Yeah. yeah, So I didn't know who he was. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Giondai means fourteenth generation. So that's I believe right, he right. named it for his and father. And the important part of the story is that he he made a very very different type of sake. And before him, the the good sake is said to be. Tande Karakuchi, which is typical Niigata style, light and dry type of sake, uh, being a good, good sake. But what he made was a totally different type of sake, which is rich and a little sweet sake type of sake. Aromatic style. Aromatic style. style. Yeah. If it yeah. was a wine, it would probably be a Riesling or a Gewürztraminer uh -huh. or something. That's right, that's right. It's, it's interesting that it was a very, very big hit. So he made but, a great sake, but to carry on your point he made the transition into the brewery mm -hmm. and took responsibility for brewing. He, he gave a dream for the younger generation that the younger generation can do something good and some, you know, can, can be successful in the future. It's, it's, it's a good dream to have. It's amazing that that history has just happened in such a short time, mm -hmm. you know, that right. huge renaissance. Mm -hmm within the sake community itself. Yeah, I think so. It's such a monumental shift, but we were witness to it, yeah. which is so fortunate because I think perhaps today people that are coming into the sake industry or get, starting their sake journey mm -hmm. come across the word kuramototoji, owner and master brewer. Mm -hmm. Quite often it's now common, you know, every other brewer mm -hmm. seems to be also um, – the owner of the brewery seems to also be the, the master brewer. And we take it for granted, I think. But that only just recently, that change really came about in, in right. the last two decades, basically. Yeah. Mm. So now your activities are very much focused on 
promoting and providing opportunities for people to experience sake, to get to know the breweries, get to know the regions where the sake mm-hmm. is produced, um, to deepen their understanding of sake. Looking at the sake industry where we are now, how would you describe the sake industry? And you're, you've had a long view of this industry from a child to now. Where do you think we are in the sake industry at this stage? Well, there are so many things we have to do now <laughs> in me. And especially, I'm very much curious about regionality of sake. It's quite, quite important for the future of sake. Why is regionality important for Well, you? basically, sake has a regionality, my opinion. And, you know, re- regionality means the diversity and the chances for the, the small regional brewery to, to, to survive if they, you know, uh, do good. And regionality, I, I of, I, I've always thought that Japan is like uh, if I compare to a other companies, uh, a country like Italy, I think it, you know Japan is a long island country, and that the, the climate is quite different from north to south, and it's like Italy. And uh, the in Italy, the each prefecture has a different type of grapes and different type of foods, and it's really enjoyable traveling, eating, traveling, eating. This kind of thing. So uh, that's the same thing in Japan, I think. So the food in the Hokkaido northern area and the food in the Kyushu southern area is very, very different. And sake is always paired with the food. So basically, sake has a very strong regionality. But for these uh, for these years, we, we are not too much sensitive about thinking about the regionality, but and only goes to the brand itself. So people know about the brand, but they didn't think too much about the that the region, the brand is, you know, people knows Dasai or Jiondai or Guheiji, but they they never care about which region they come from. Not, not too much about it. So how can we, or how are you, trying to create more awareness about regionality and experiencing sake within a region and enjoying all of those complementary cultures and experience mm-hmm. that come with enjoying regional sake. Well, one thing very important for, for us to promote is a GI, geographical indication kind of thing, because it's a, to, to make a rule. And to, to, to make a rule, we need lots of discussions uh, among the, the, the region and the it, it's going to take a long time but we, we need lots of discussion discussion but also if you can come to an understanding a group consensus mm-hmm. it will create uh, a template that will enable brewers to really effectively market mm-hmm. um, and promote the not only their individual sake and their mm-hmm. individual brands but also the craftsmanship and the resources mm-hmm. and the so. environment of their local that's right. area. Because that's that's makes easier for the, the foreign people to understand about sake. You know, thinking about my uh, experience, when I learned about wine, I studied from the region, right? And if you learn about the region, you can imagine about the, the quality of the, the wine there. 
uh, stories, many stories to, to a very small region too. But so the regionality makes people understand about sake more and more easily, not only for the foreign people, but also for the domestic people, I think. And also it makes people understand that sake is more than just an SKU. It's more than just a product. There's mm-hmm. actually much more that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. And that's right. that creates added value that's to right. the sake, mm-hmm. right? I think so. so Which other mm. people can't, you know, imitate. Mm, indeed. So, well, I've learned so much. I really am going to be following up on that live to ear East Wind Revival concert. <laughs> Thank you. I've got a good memory. Wow. And I feel so honoured to have um, heard your story. And thank you so much for sharing so much of your time with us and so much of your knowledge with us as well and for sharing so many moments of great insight with us. Well, thank you, Rebecca. I, was, I enjoyed the time talking with you. Thank you. And that is a wrap on one more episode of Sake on Air. Thank you again so much for tuning in. If you'd like to follow along with us on social media, you can find us at, at Sake on Air on Twitter, Instagram, as well as Facebook. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube as well. We're gradually uploading uh, past episodes so that those who prefer that platform can use that as well to enjoy their sake and shochu infused information. As always, this has been a broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo. And the show is made possible with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you all in a couple more weeks. Come by. <laughs>